My name is Marseille. Welcome to this year's entrepreneurship session. If you remember, we started this last year. It was the first time we introduced it to the convention. And the idea is basically to get uh, entrepreneurs in the industry with an actuarial background to come and share their experiences and their learnings with us. Because I think there's a lot we can take away from, from many of them. Today on the panel, we have Skolk Milan, CEO of BrightRock, Shivani Ranchard, CEO of Percept, and Mbulelo Mpufana, co-founder of Investure. I'll lead the discussion and I'll ask them some questions in between, but we'll also leave some time at the end for you to ask them questions. So to start off, I'd like each one of you to please give us your elevator pitch, just for those who, who don't exactly know what you do and what your companies are all about. So Mbulelo, I think let's start with you, please. Hi, right, thanks Masi, and um, thanks to everyone who's here. Uh, my name is Mbulelo, um, and I'm a co-founder of Investro. And Investro is an insurance tech company, and I like to think of it in two parts. So there's the insurance part, and of course the technology side. Um, on the insurance side, we've developed what we believe is a world-first product, and um, it's insured by Compass Insurance, who's in turn, and in turn reinsured by Hanover Re. And the product um, we've developed protects innocent shareholders in JSC-listed shares from losses caused specifically by management fraud and dishonesty or management wrongdoing. So good examples would be what's currently happening with MTN. MTN's lost over 30% of its value due to accusations of um, repatriating funds out of the Nigerian entity illegally. Um, other examples are typical like Steinhoff, um, EOH, uh, Resilient, um, which are all companies that lost massive amounts of value in a short space of time and thereby blindsiding shareholders because when you make an investment decision um, you expect the information you have to be correct. Um, so that's at the, the insurance side and on the technology side we've really innovated to make buying insurance really easy. It's just a click and also to claim uh, people just sell their shares so you don't have to actually submit a claim to your insurance company to claim. Um, and in the end, we hope that this product will make it investing in shares more attractive to people who stayed out of it because we've removed this very hard to uh, kind of perceive, perceive difficult risk to manage. Thanks. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Shivani Ranchat. I'm the CEO of Percept. Uh, Percept is a consulting firm, um, a year old. We turned a year old yesterday. Um, we work um, in very close collaboration with our clients. We believe in building long-term relationships. And we're particularly interested in solving problems or helping to solve problems um, that result in a healthier and more financially resilient world. Um, we believe that consulting is fundamentally about the consultants, about the people. Um, so we've worked very hard to create a work environment and a work culture um, that really helps people to do their best work. So really it's an environment in which people can thrive. Um, and we describe ourselves as being driven by heart and by curiosity. So a big, a big part of what we do is about people and about relationships. Yeah, thanks, Masai, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. You know, when Brightrock uh, set out to, uh, to start and build our business, um, we, we had quite a, a, a key ambition to, to partner um, clients. And, um, and there was quite a passion about that. Um, and, and I think what, what really quickly came to, um, to mind was that 
wasn't only be able to deliver a product that was um, helping that uh, that client um, and and as you know we we started from a life insurance perspective to start with it was critical also to develop and review the whole client experience um, and and what was key around that was the actual sales process and helping um, the advisor and also in fact um, making the client part of that solution and, and the solution that that advice brings to bear. And it was also key to be manifested in the documentation um, that we designed to explain to the client what is it actually that he bought. So it was key around the product and documentation that we've delivered. Um, and, and around the product, the product design was such that instead of just looking at that lump sum block of cover um, that might grow at an arbitrary rate, um, it was around identifying, and these around identifying the exact needs of the client um, with him and being able to price those more exactly and creating significantly more efficiency for the client for his premium being spent. So we've seen those results coming through from our clients um, and also very importantly, not just the day one solution being put in place, but a product that actually lives with that client. So if we talk inside BrightRock around the purpose of the, of the organization, we, we referred to being able to help people navigate change through the products and services that we, that we um, bring to bear. And it's quite important also to give some context in the time when BrightRock launched. We launched around 2012, and that was just on the back of um, 08, as we know, the crisis. And, and it, if you look at just the consumer views of corporates, that's inherent mistrust. So it was key to actually take a, a very different stance in in our approach in building a product coming um, with a new life financial services business to, to market, to be able to um, start engaging that client in a very different manner to regain that trust. Thanks. Thank you. Now, Skolk, you have a very traditional or fairly traditional background um, having come from Discovery. Do you believe that this has helped you in the launching and management of BrightRock or in fact something else? I must say, um, it's definitely helped me. I mean, I think we, we operate in quite a um, complex financial services. Um, financial services is quite a complex uh, um, industry. It's obviously highly regulated. Um, I, I think I was also quite fortunate being at a stage um, at, at Discovery where, where one can learn at exposure to a significant amount of the business and, and create an understanding. I think also one had the opportunity to learn from, from great people and I think that's key. Um, if you want to start a business um, and having not had the ability to learn from, from great people, um, I think you are um, doing yourself a disservice and it's a little bit that cliche that we often talk about those um, 10,000 hours that you, that you have to, to master and see opportunities. Um, and, and I believe, I firmly believe in that. Um, you, you have to be able to immerse yourself in your subject matter um, to be able to identify opportunities to, in the market, in the highly complex market as it is. You know. Thank you. Now, Shivani, um, I think a lot of people would, would want to know how you and Dave decided to, to go on this journey um, to start and form Percept and to get it to where it is today. Maybe you can share with us a little bit just where the idea came from and why you decided to do this. I think it actually it, it builds a little bit on what Scott was saying about um, expertise and mastery. Um, you know, I think uh, both Dave and I um, have had you know a combination of uh, corporate careers and academic careers, um, and building a lot of a lot of expertise. 
um, and you know, Percept is a way of leveraging that. Um, but also, um, I guess, having been at UCT and worked very hard to um, foster a learning environment in which students could thrive and do their best learning, um, it's almost a kind of obvious next step to start to think about designing a work environment um, that does the same thing. Um, and, you know, you know, really thinking about ways in which um, one can foster that curiosity. I mean, really good consultants are, are deeply curious and agile of mind. Um, and I do think that um, those aren't only inherent characteristics, they're also characteristics that can be cultivated. Um, so yeah, I think it was, it was almost an inevitable next step. Good. And uh, we'll get to the point of culture a bit later. Mbelele, you entered the Journey Re competition, um, and that was sort of the, the catalyst for, for Investure. Um, where did this interest come from to, to take that further? And did you, did you always want to be an entrepreneur, or uh, how, how did you come about this? Um, so I think probably I was involved in student organizations that were um, primarily around helping using the skills you have as a student to help business leaders. Um, so I think it's called Enactus now was one of them. Um, and from then that kind of sparked that kind of realization that entrepreneurship is a way to, to really create wealth, to bring about new products and to explore pretty much every aspect of of your creativity and really bring something to bear. So from there, um, I was always interested in that. And then going into the work environment, um, I worked at AIG, which at the time didn't even have an actuarial team. And we started to build one out. And again, you got kind of um, a mix and, and a feel for all sides of the business. And that's what really excited me. So when the January opportunity came, I jumped on it because again, it gave you kind of a structured intro into the world of entrepreneurship. And that was really what was exciting about it. And it turned out to, to be an opportunity to meet really great people um, and explore that, that, that sort of world in a, I'd say much safer than normal um, sort of environment. So from that, Hanover Re uh, and Compass have been the people who've been financially behind Investro. So it really, it, it proved to be quite a valuable experience. Now, the insurance industry is quite a heavily regulated one, and I think to, to stay innovative and, and on top of your game is, is sometimes quite challenging. Skolk, maybe you can explain to us how that has affected you and BrightRock and how you stay relevant um, and innovative in, a, in this type of industry. Yeah, I must say, I think, uh, you know, to be uh, creative and innovative um, in a regulated in industry is a challenge. Um, I mean, but I also think one wants to be creative for the right reasons. I think our regula regulator, I mean, a lot of changes have been coming through um, over the last couple of years and are still being worked on. Um, and, and one's got to be nimble and adapt to that. But I think a lot of those changes are very positive. So so depends on how you look at them. Um, so we're embracing them. We, we're looking to work with the regulator. I think from a... Um, from, from staying creative also with other stakeholders, um, one, one's got to be clear around your intent, um, where you're going, what is your purpose, um, and then it's also about communication. You know, uh, I, I love to communicate around new ideas, um, soundboard, um, breaking that, uh, that initial ice, and nine out of the ten ideas get shot down, um, and that's, that's great because you learn from them. Um, so it is about never giving up um, and, and also clear communication within your organization because I think the one key thing around um, the co a complex environment with a regulator with a 
multidisciplined um, business around you is you you, you got to um, involve other people. You got to uh, rely on them. You got to depend on them. And partnerships are are key. Um, and 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 f to make partnerships work, you got to communicate very well. Shivani, we spoke about um, culture earlier. Uh, what, what does it mean to you and in the organization and how do you make sure that everybody's working towards the same goal and when you bring new people on board that they buy into that culture and, and go along the same journey with you? So we've taken a very deliberate approach to culture. So, I mean, I think, I think you know, work cultures are something that often just, just sort of evolve naturally over time. Um, but I... Um, yeah, I think it, it, it was, I mean, part of the sort of impetus for starting Percept was wanting to think about uh, aspects of organizational design and, and how that, that impacts on, on culture. Um, so we, so we, we've been very deliberate about it from the beginning, very deliberate about articulating our values, um, and then really trying to build um, the culture into the bones of the business so that it's not entirely dependent on, on individuals and individual personalities. Um, so Percept is not Shivani, Percept is not Dave, Percept is not Ursula. Um, you know, Percept is its own thing and that needs, you know, those, those things need to live on. Um, so we think about, we think about it in every aspect. So we think about how we put teams together on projects, um, how we reflect on projects, how we choose projects. We're very careful about what we take on and what we don't take on. Um, how you know we think about uh, incentivizing staff, um, you know all of those, all of those things, ownership, um, every aspect of it. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a it's probably been the most sort of exciting part of the process, um, but it's also something that just requires constant. It, it, it's not like oh you design it and then it's done, you know. Um, you have to go back and and you know oh that didn't work out. Let's tweak this. Let's try that. Um, so also been quite experimental um, in the way that we do it. And also working with experts. So, you know, we're actuaries, we're not uh, organizational design people. So we, we've worked with an, uh, an amazing organizational design person. Um, and then that, that question of, um, you know, I don't, I don't think of it as people needing to fit into the culture. I think about it very much because we're also very much about inclusivity. So you've got to be really careful that you, you don't get the sort of, you know, everybody's a cookie cutter and you get the kind of group think effect. I mean, part of being innovative is actually having yeah, differences in ideas. So for me, what's actually core in the commonalities and the values. Um, and we wrote, a, we wrote a manifesto which kind of expresses how we approach our work. Um, and in the recruitment process, that's something that we, it gives us a tool to kind of work through together to see whether there's resonance on the values or, or not. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that answers the question, I hope. Malelo or Skulk, I'm not sure if, if any one of you have uh, anything to add to, uh, to the culture discussion. I mean, your businesses are at very different stages, so I'm assuming that the, the, the feedback on, on culture would be very different for you. Um, but if there's anything that you can add to that, please. Um, just from our side, so we, we just launched the product in May, and we're a very small team, so it's just the three co-founders. But we found that um, in terms of the values, that's actually been a key thing that's bound us. So everyone's from a different background. Shane's is a chartered accountant. He's a, a computer developer. Uh, but everybody kind of has similar values and that's kind of what makes those hard discussions a lot easier because we kind of, you don't take it personal. There's certain boundaries that I think everybody understands. And from that, we kind of now are trying to make sure that with everybody we add on, we make that explicit and we make sure that that, that aligns because that's really what's worked well for us so far.
Yo, Masai, I, I think uh, for us as well as uh, the, the other um, panelists, um, culture was uh, was a fascinating thing. I mean, we started out, I mean, we were able to get the whole business together in that first year of development in a, in a room and uh, just have a catch-up every couple, a week or every second week around where we're going. Um, we also started out the business to say um, we, we've got a... Um, four pillars of the business. We didn't actually have a CEO in the business. Um, every single discipline had their own representation inside the organization. And we, we did that for intentional reasons. We wanted to have diverse thinking coming to the table. Um, and, and those kind of um, threats or um, has, has really manifested inside the organization. It holds us in good stead, you know, in terms of diverse thinking, different opinions, um, and, and building that trust within each other. I think the, the one key point around the hard decisions, um, we have now found as the business have grown, um, you know, getting close to 400 um, people inside the organization, we, we do now have to actively work on it and, and in fact talk about it. So for example, we've got cornerstones um, inside organization, commitment, uh, creativity, um, cornerstones that, that means very specific things to us as a business. We've got a very clear purpose and those are there to help people make decisions day to day, whether it be an email out to a client or whether it be um, are we starting a new product line or going to a new market? Um, and that creates consistency in organization and in a way creates a bit of safety that people understand how they operate. So, and we're in fact doing now a lot more work around that and having those conversations with people um, in, inside the group. And, and, that's, and that takes a lot of time, and, 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 but it's critical and, and it's amazing the feedback you get from that as well as a leadership group. Blela, you and I have uh, talked about some of the challenges that you face, especially being the small team that you are, that you've just described to us. Maybe you can share with the audience um, what specific challenges you have faced and maybe if, if you look back and if you would have done anything differently or advice that you could give anyone, what are the, say, top three things that you would share with us? Yeah, so again, our journey has probably been quite different from somebody who just kind of starts outside of having support um, so we had a corp large corporate buy-in to the idea very early on but once we started working on it i think just bringing something new to established businesses is quite difficult um, so we, we we deliberately started to try and lean on um, trusted people within hanoveri within compass um, and make sure that they buy into the product first and then use them as kind of advocates for, for us. And that, I think, worked very well for us. Um, I think also in terms of client relationships, we also quickly got um, Easy Equities quite excited about the product and they have been a great partner to us. But we kind of rushed into that and um, I think there was a different understanding in terms of where they want to go versus where we wanted to go and that actually ended up being quite a costly thing because we went on and built the technology and hired developers and afterwards you then find out actually no you have to start again um so things like that are also so it's important with every single partner i think to to make sure that you go really deep into the process and actually to the customer endpoint because that's where they they care about experience their clients have and that was something we didn't think of if we kind of had it in our own way and we need to fit the culture that they've created for their clients uh, because the product is selling on their platform so that's another big thing is for us was with future clients now we we try and make sure that we 
um, kind of really discuss it thoroughly before we decide to commit with a certain client, before we start to build things that um, actually incur costs. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's what I'd say. Morning, Skalk. I'm not sure if you want to add to that. Perhaps maybe some of the challenges or advice that you could share with the audience. I think the, I mean, the the thing around uh, communication. Um, if I can just pick pick up on on that, um, I mean, it's it's a it's a similar thing for us in a consulting business because, I mean, we work very closely with our clients and we want to develop solutions that you know that's what they want um, and um, that you know that that ongoing communication and articulation of needs and really listening like very carefully like learning to listen not to impose too quickly to actually stay sort of in the design phase where you're listening to the problem for quite a long time before you sort of leap ahead into into solutions um, I think it's also been a big a big kind of part of the learning um, yeah. Yeah, I must say, I think from a, given my background being product development, I can maybe give a specific example to that. Um, you know, when you when you develop a product, you sit in your office and uh, you, you think that product is going to just be perfect because you kind of fall in love with it a little bit. And I'm sure we've, a lot of us has, have been there. Um, and then you present it to your sales team and, and, and the sales team actually see the see the product for the first time really at the at the launch um, and then they got to figure out how they're going to sell it um, so so one of our biggest challenges were actually to to change that model around um, and it required quite a bit of um, you know eating humble pie um, to sit in discussions and and have all stakeholders there talking about the product you know you got your treating customers fairly people team immersed in the product design process. You've got your plain language writers um, fighting with your medical doctors and how we're going to write our medical definitions that will make sense to a client. Um, so try and get a lawyer, uh, a plain language writer and actually, and a doctor in the same room and try and get an outcome. You know, So those were, that were challenges that we set ourselves. Um, and and, and once the product got launched, we had to also be humble enough and, and respectful of, enough to listen. You know, one of our cornerstones is talk about curiosity, and that's not always about asking questions. In most cases, it's about listening more than asking questions. Um, and we've made material changes, not to the underlying architecture, but to the product, improving the product constantly. And a lot of that was from feedback from actual claims examples or from our from our brokers, and, and that was a big challenge. You know, you have to then have your technology come with you. You have to have the communication very clear throughout your organization. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, from a product development, but there's surely other things that I can talk about as well. <laughs> Skulk, um, you and I also talked about the issue of entrepreneurship uh, in South Africa and job creation. Yeah. Um, and that also links to what you do internally in terms of promoting uh, or rather developing your, your employees and giving them opportunities for personal growth. Can you maybe expand on that and, and how you deal with, with that challenge? Yeah, I think we, um, you know, BrightRock came to market, you know, as I said, 2012, quite a competitive environment. Um, and we had to be quite innovative in attracting talent, you know, at the start of an organization it's you know there is that excitement around starting a new thing you know going on uh, going with a very clear purpose and you but as you grow you you still need to um, develop talent and grow and your choices are basically do you develop it um, inside the organization or do you recruit it um, and you know quite often you know whatever your your constraints are 
um, and it's always relative. Um, we, we had so many examples where we had people coming into the business as performing a certain function, whether it be capturing data, and just simply by being in a program of developing, being in an environment that, um, that, that, that really um, people understood what they, why are they there, they were able to make a difference from day one because you basically got the guy next to you and the guy on the other side and you, we, we got to make things work. Um, people have grown in, uh, unbelievably. I mean, we found people that were data catchers sitting in spaces where they are business analysts in the, in the, and, and I think that's one of the things that we're most excited and proud of in the business, you know, of having being able to create opportunities for people. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. We've got a, a branch in Port Elizabeth and, um, you know, we've become one of the preeminent employers in Port Elizabeth, performing a lot of our our core functions in in that in that town, and and uh, we, we've really seen amazing opportunities for people and how they've grown and stepped up, you know. And that I think is is quite a nice thing about entrepreneurship is um, being able to have the opportunity to have um, to provide people with a platform where they could perhaps live out their um, true ambitions and aspirations and learn also because maybe they are the guys that one day are equipped and comfortable to 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 take that next step. So, yeah. Okay. Um, now, something that I, that I mentioned to all of you was uh, Simon Sinek that talks about millennials and how millennials always want instant gratification and they want things to happen quickly and I want to make a difference in three months and see the changes. And the reality is in a lot of businesses that doesn't happen and Malela, like you explained, you make a mistake and oh gosh, now I've got to go back and do it all over again. So how do you keep millennials and I suppose it can... It can apply to anyone who, who is in that, that frame of mind. But how do you keep people engaged and motivated when things are really tough or when it takes a long time to, to really achieve something or see the benefit of what you're trying to do? I think it's one thing that's really important is to, to always have smaller milestones along the way and keep open communication and make sure that you, you don't only really celebrate the end goal, but you make sure that the person every week has something to say, this is what I've achieved towards getting to that big goal. So um, one of the big things that we implement is there's it's something quite common in the IT world, which is called sprints. And literally every week or two weeks, they set out a project plan and they have these small micro steps along the way. And at the end of the two weeks, you deliver. It might just be literally, I've added a button to the interface or something really simple, but they set that as a goal and the end goal may be developing the whole website, but that, I think, is really important um, for especially millennials. And I think startups are actually in, a much, actually in a strong position when it comes to that because you can't afford to have somebody who's just doing one thing. Um, everybody has to kind of get involved. Everybody has to share their ideas. Everybody is in probably 90% of the meeting. So it's a, it's a highly engaged area of work just naturally. So I think from our perspective, we find it to be actually quite an advantage to be a small, a small business. But um, yeah, I think it's really important to make sure that for every employee, you don't just celebrate the massive thing, but you know, have these kind of smaller milestones along the way. Yeah, we, I mean, I think, I mean, we, so, okay, maybe I should just step back and explain a little bit about how you know, we actually work on projects, so we don't have a fixed hierarchy or fixed structure. Uh, we're a multidisciplinary team. Um, so as each project comes in, we kind of look at what skill sets make sense for that project, right? So this project needs an anthropologist, a health economist, and an actuary. 
it sounds like a beginning of a joke, but it's a, it's, it's a true, true, true story. Um, and, and then actually we spend a lot of, it's very time, energy and time consuming, but we spend a lot of time actually articulating why you're in that team, um, what your role is, how, you know, what we expect of you, what, why you actually fit together. Um, and then we've just like discarded all of the traditional stuff around, we don't even use the language around performance management. Um, I don't know, maybe it comes from being a parent. I don't think about performance managing my child, right? I'm trying to build a home environment that my child can thrive in. I'm trying to build a work environment that my team can thrive in. So we've just like ditched all of that language. Um, and we talk much more about reflection and growth. Um, and we try and do our reflections at the end of each project. Um, but it's a similar thing. It's like breaking it up into smaller pieces um, and not waiting to, I mean, I, I, now it seems ridiculous to me that you've got to wait like a year to have a conversation about your KPIs, um, whereas actually those conversations should be happening um, on a much more regular basis. Yeah, I must say, I, I mean, I, after you spoke about that millennials video from Simon Sinek, you know, uh, one goes to think a little bit. Firstly, I think millennials are yeah. I mean, they they are clients of the future. Um, they people. Uh, I mean, a lot of us sitting in the room probably qualify as millennials. I tend to joke with my business partners quite often when they say, you know, um, when they were younger, you know, things tend to happen better and quicker, and people tend to have been uh, a bit more uh, committed, or you know, instant gratification is, you know, people just want things now. Um, I do tend to think, you know, every generation probably thinks that of the previous. Um, so, so for me, when, when, when young, uh, linking to my other answer, when, when young individuals join the business, qualifying under that millennial, um, I think firstly we, we want to treat them exactly the same as everybody else. They need to have responsibility. That's key. People want to feel that they, they're contributing something positively. Um, and when, we, you know, that hands-on um, mentoring support is, is absolutely critical. Um, I do think, you know, Brightrock is in a, a little bit of a privileged position in the sense that we still relatively small. Um, we do have the ability to, to have people being immersed in so much across the business and feeling that they, you know, working on a new product line, um, working on a new um, strategic venture, people, I think, immediately get pulled in and, uh, and, and they feel that they're contributing. So um, I don't think we, we, we're feeling that I have sympathy for it, um, but I also think, uh, um, you know, the bigger focus is really how do we as, uh, as a business handle millennials as, as clients and, and engage with them on different media. And I think a lot of discussions have been had about that, you know, you know so, okay. So my final question is about um, entrepreneurship not being for the faint-hearted. Um, and I think we, we've spoken about this um, today, that many times you've got to start all over again or, or sort of reevaluate your business model or whatever you're trying to do. Um, and what, I'm, what I want to, or what I want for you to share is how you get yourself out of bed in the morning when, uh, when things are really tough. And I know, Siobhan, you said it's just a matter of I have no choice. But I think there's sometimes something a little bit extra that motivates you to motivate other people because it's not just about getting yourself to work. People are dependent on you and look up to you for support and, and courage even when they themselves don't believe in the vision. Um, so how do you deal with that? Cool. From, from our side, I think, yes, there's an element of you just don't have a choice, um, definitely. But it's also just having a connection with what, what 
the mission of that business is, what you're trying to do. And I think that's, that's for me, a big difference maker. If it's something that you don't feel connected to, that you can easily walk away from, then I don't think you should do it because as soon as something hard, and it definitely will come, comes along, then there's probably something that looks more attractive to you. But um, I think that we, um, Shane and I, when we were thinking about the idea, we spent a lot of time of just thinking about what will this do if we actually get it right? You know, what happens? Why is it important to do it? And and when we found those answers and we connected with the product, I think, you know, I've got a family, so I definitely wouldn't go into business with somebody who I think is going to drop me um, at the first um, sort of hurdle. So that was really, really important. And that's what I think gets you up and gets you going and keeps you thinking and you know, willing to change the product because I think it's not so much about how it's the form of the business now, it's about getting to achieve that goal that you have. And then I think that's that's really what's important now. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's got to do with that sort of interplay between fear and love. So, I mean, I think the things that we are scared of are often the things that can, I mean, it can result in paralysis, right? You're scared so you don't act. Um, but when I think as you say, if you feel very strongly about it, if you feel connected to it, and I think if there's a, there's a love for it, then that wins out. Um, but, it, I mean, I think entrepreneurship is very much about a balance between reflection and action. So, you know, and it's, that, it's not just the forward momentum and going ahead and getting out of bed and doing it, but also the pausing and thinking and being deliberate and reflecting on what you've done and being willing to, being not being overly at not having fallen in love with the product and then, you know, being overly attached to it. You can't be overly attached to any aspect of it. You've got to be completely willing to go back to the drawing board and do it again. Um, and I think, you know, those, so the fears manifest in different ways, right? It can, it can be the motivator. It can be the thing that actually it's the fear of not being able to pay salaries at the end of the month that fuels you. Um, but it's about how you leverage that and, and making sure that you are balancing it out with, with the, the, good, the good feeling as well. I must say, I can echo some of the um, other comments and, and maybe elaborate on, on the passion side. I mean, I'll give you a short example um, where I fundamentally believe the way that we deliver a solution to our clients and partner them is, is the right way and the way that life insurance to start with and other financial services products will, will work in the future. Um, I was sitting with a client on the, actually this past Saturday and the client was, was seeing um, how they can save money. Um, they were in a product structure that was simply just running away with them from a premium perspective. And when I asked them, why do you need this amount of cover? And they, they couldn't answer me. They didn't actually know. In fact, they didn't even know that the product was a life insurance product and not a savings product. Now, that's quite shocking. And I, I can assure you, if you've been in the field, if you um, sit with clients, um, that is a reality. I mean, it's probably the most of the clients out there sit with this situation. Um, whether they were given advice or not, that's actually irrelevant. So, so I'm very much um, passionate about what we're doing. I believe the way that we are changing, um, uh, changing the industry client by client, um, engagement by engagement, with, with, with our advisors is the way that life insurance will be. So for me, it's a little bit of a calling toward love. I mean, it's quite easy to stand up in the mornings and go and do that job because I do believe um, I'm excited about what it, what it will mean for our end customers. Um, I also see claims examples being paid where, where 
we're really seeing that those people be immersed. You know, for example, every time we send out a decline letter, if we unfortunately have to, the whole executive had to look at that claim and to see, is that in the spirit of our product? So we don't have TCF as a checkbox exercise in our business. Um, it's immersed in how we do things. Um, it's simply how we've been designed and coded. So, um, but having said all of that, you know, that's the, that is very clear in my mind and it makes one have the courage and commitment to continue on that mission. If I look at just, you do get your days that are good and bad. I mean, and, um, and, and uh, I think one's got to manage that and everybody manages that in various ways. Um, I've had the privilege of having the best uh, business partners I think anybody can wish for. And I think that's the key in my experience around experience, all those things. You know, you need to have the right um, funding partners, etc at the various points in time. But having those right partners in those moments where they might have been, you know, they've got a bad day and you actually, on the app, you had a good story and you share those stories. Ties in with that communication meshes I had earlier. And vice versa, it's a bit like a, a spectrum equaling each other out. But you know you're moving forward every second day. Um, so, and, and if you've got that, those elements right, um, and, and maybe just in closing, I think being an actuarial background, we sometimes do believe, you know, we. We, we can sell better than the sales guys. We can probably write a brochure better than what the um, marketing team can put together. Our PowerPoint skills are great. And, and I say it with the deepest level of respect. You know, I've, uh, I've encountered people that can do all of that um, in, in, uh, in the actuarial field. Um, but one's got to respect that, that, that uh, you need other skills as well. You, you need to partner, and that makes the road a lot easier. I mean, we referred earlier to uh, it, it is relatively easy then um, uh, as a result of having the right people around you. Okay. Yeah, I'll, just to add on that, I think from our perspective, yes, I think the, business, the people inside the business are very, very critical. And also, yeah, your partners. I think um, when you don't have the answers, if you have people that you can communicate with who, even though maybe that issue is burning them in the pocket, are also willing to look and give eyes to it and find a solution rather than uh, bringing up new problems has been massive for us as well. So definitely, I think your partners is, is, is really important. Thank you. I'm now going to give the audience um, a chance to ask some questions. Please raise your hands. I think we've got mics for you. Thank you, Marseille. And thanks to Skalk, Shivani and Mbulelo for sharing your insights with us. My question is a two-part question. On the first part of it, I am asking, in your opinion, would you say the actuarial profession encourages or discourages a culture or a mindset of entrepreneurship? And by actuarial profession, they are putting in that same category, you know, the educational route as well as programs and initiatives ran by the profession. The second part that is linked to that, I'm asking whether the, the entrepreneurial output from actuaries and actuar actuarial professionals in South Africa is consistent or reasonable when weighed against the intellectual capital captured by the profession. Jay wants to start, maybe Scott, do you want to start? Yeah, I think those are great questions. I mean, I think firstly, um, becoming an entrepreneur, um, if you're an actuary or not, doesn't make it uh, easier uh, doesn't mean you can be an entrepreneur or not. I think you, you've got certain attributes to 
to, to state that can you take some of those risks? Are you willing to com be committed to your purpose? Do you have the courage to push through? Um, do you have the people around you? Um, I do think that uh, having a qualification as an actually with that right set of attributes as an entrepreneur is quite a potent combination. Um, and, and the reason why I'm saying that is, is quite obvious. I mean, we are very well trained as as risk managers, I mean, we, we kind of manage the downside and the upside will take care of itself. Um, and I think that's that's a very, very powerful attribute to have inside your organization. In terms of um, whether that your profession does equip people more for, uh, in terms of entrepreneurship, um, I think more can be done to identify people earlier. I think more can be done to nurture people, to also just simply, um, illuminate the 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 um the opportunities that does exist um you know i think if you look around the world there's all these incubators etc and i think those are definitely what we can what we can uh, look to 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 improve on um in terms of just the outputs consistent with the intellectual capital um i think there are unbelievable examples of south africans that that have outshone uh, around the world globally, you know, as, as actuarial people. I mean, um, BrightRock, I can just speak on, on behalf of BrightRock, has, has been invited on multiple international platforms. Um, I've been invited now to speak in New York around our product as well. Um, so I think we are being seen as, as intellectual leaders, um, as an as a industry, as a profession um, globally. So. So I, I, I tend to be quite positive around it being consistent with the intellectual capital housed inside um, this room and, and the industry. I think, I think those are both great questions and I think um, actually probably deserve deeper reflection than just our sort of brief, brief answers. I think it is something that is worth grappling with as a, as a profession. Um, I think there are a couple of features of the, both the qualification and the profession which probably work a little bit against entrepreneurship. Um, I think our training does lend towards being overly focused on, on risk um, and maybe, I don't know if the training tends to make us risk averse or whether we attract risk averse people into the profession because you know I'm not, I'm not sure of the circularity there um, but I think the other thing is that because it's a very well paying profession um, it's very easy to settle into um, into being secure into job security um, and it can often feel like the job security is the reward for the trauma of the qualification um, you know we deserve we deserve the security and it, and because it's a well-paying profession I think it is human nature to then also peg our lifestyle to our earnings which then makes it a little bit harder to take take financial risk because um, I think that that risk is linked to hunger in a way sometimes you know um so yeah i think i mean those i'm not saying that the profession is is i mean there's lots of there lots of amazing examples of, of entrepreneurship within the within the profession um but i think there are some features that that work against it um and then the other thing i wanted to say is that i think sometimes pe the, the sort of really entrepreneurial people within the profession then once they've sort of started doing whatever it is that they're doing, actually sort of step out of the profession in a way, um, because they no longer see themselves as neatly fitting into one of the sort of practice areas or, you know, they don't see, I'm not a stat actuary, so I don't fit into the life insurance committee or, um, so yeah, I think we've lost some of the really great entrepreneurs um, and maybe lost as a result, 
like some of the opportunities for role modeling um, of just just a different way of, of doing things. Um, and then the, the last thing um, is that I don't think we put enough emphasis on research as a profession. Um, and research is really, I mean, some people might see think of research as almost the opposite of like innovation, but I think they're intrinsically linked um, because it's about being at the cutting edge and pushing the boundaries of knowledge um, and not just learning the existing curriculum. Um, so I think if you really, into our education system really kind of deeply embedded a research ethos, um, I think that ultimately that would drive entrepreneurship as well. Uh, some been some great um, responses already, so I don't really have much to add, but great questions. I think it's, you know, in terms of the skill set you have, I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, but I also think maybe, I mean, university, I think as a university student, it's actually probably for me, in my opinion, the best time to sort of fiddle around with business and to try and start something. And I guess because so much of the sort of qualification process happens once you're in the world of work, I think it just means when you qualify, you probably have more sort of responsibilities and, and that sort of thing. And maybe that does have an impact on how many people decide to, to take a risk like starting a business. and. I mean, I don't know what you do about that, but I think that that may have an impact. And I think, yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of value that actuaries can add um, to small businesses, whether it's um, or just in the space, even if it's not your own business. I think a lot of the, the knowledge that sits in many people in this room would add a lot of value to, to a lot of um, entrepreneurs out there. And I think maybe we do need to think about how we um, make some sort of contribution, even if it's not your own business, but support somebody who needs some assistance with understanding risk or coming up with a model and really getting to grips with the risks within their business. Um, yeah, I think we can reach out a bit more. So, so just maybe one comment. Um, you know, if I just relate to my own decision-making process, um, and I think, you know, actuarial... Um, profession, people, like you said, are in high-paying positions in, and it's a relatively scarce um, resource inside South Africa, um, globally as well. Um, so, so I saw it as a bit of a, in a privileged position because I always reflected back to say, you know, if I, if I do proper risk management on my, on my own, um, I would have looked at it and saying, I've got this idea, I've got this um, purpose, I, I've got this mission as I described earlier, and in the unlikely event, because I'm not going to give up, but in that unlikely event um, that things do go wrong, do I have a position to go back to? Um, probably not the same position that I left from, but there would be opportunities quite likely. Um, so I, I tend to always encourage people to say, if you've got an idea, because it starts there, if you've got a purpose um, that, that you can really make a difference um, to, to clients, um, and, and that's your modus operandi. It's not to um, be capitalistic of nature, not to make a, sh a short-term gain, um, because that road is just too long and hard to do that, rather stay where you are. But if you really have a desire to make a difference, um, then we as actuaries have got relatively little to lose. Um, it, it is about planning. It's about making sure you've got the, the right structure in place, support structure from your family, etc. But I would always encourage people to go for their, for their dreams because I think it's worth it if you get it right.
Um, my question probably is more directed to Shivani, but before I even ask it, um, I think the wealth of knowledge you're sharing there with regards to the actual professions is very profound, so maybe you should go be part of the education committee or board. Um, but I think although my question is pedestrian in nature, um, it would be very pertinent as well. Um, I have a couple of colleagues that time and again will bounce entrepreneurial discussions and more often than not it comes back to the 25-day lease that we have so I know on the 25 I'm gonna get a salary so when you say you wanna go into an entrepreneurial discussion I'm like you my car my house my this my that you know so I kind of like want to get to your framework of, of thinking, how really going into this percept thing, you know, how you really thought about it and what really made you ultimately to say, no, I'm really gonna give up this 25-day lease that I had and actually now I'm going into this thing because it might seem like it's a small thing, but really, really it's not in a bigger scheme of things and I want you to really play that. I mean, I think it actually really ties back to the two previous points and, and, and a lot of what, what Skulk was saying. Um, I mean, you can, you can flip it around, right, to say that actually, you know, during the period where you do have the 25-day the lease, um, that if you do have entrepreneurial ambitions, you use that security to help to build up a little bit of a, a buffer so that at some later stage you can can take a bit of risk but also really not to not to get trapped by all of these things the house and the car i mean some of the obligations are unavoidable right so some obligations um you know family obligations those sorts of things one doesn't really have a, a, a choice um but a lot of the a lot of the life choices that we make are choices so you know the the daily cappuccino on the way to work the you know the slightly more expensive car the nicer suburb the schools we choose for our kids all of those things are choices um, and they can end up being traps because you end up not pursuing your dreams because we convince ourselves that those things are are essential um, so perhaps you know um, I've been lucky in the sense that I chose a I chose a academic career which wasn't particularly high paying so you know sort of the the financial I didn't get locked into sort of a, a more expansive lifestyle so maybe that maybe that's part of it um, but I think also you get to a stage where you've got to make those trade-offs between what you really want out of your life like what is the thing that is going to make you want to not just get out of bed in the morning but actually like happily jump out of bed in the morning um, and really be excited about what it is that you do um, and and then you've got to figure out where money and security and all of those things fit into that into that equation. And there are different ways of doing it, right? Sometimes you do have a financial backer, so you don't take the financial risk uh, all yourself. Um, you know, there are different ways of... of um, there's a very um, nice uh, series of podcasts called um, Seth Godin's Startup School, um, where he actually talks about strategies for financing um, your entrepreneurial ambitions um, and the different ways in which you can you can approach it and, and pace it out. Um, so a range of different ways to do it. You don't have to do it the way we did it, where we self-financed. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I think Shivani, that, that resonates with me. I mean, the 
depends on what your business model is, if you bootstrap or do you raise funding. Um, I, I, I think uh, and, and a lot of that literature actually points to do not try and start it from outside of your garage because um, that's one of the big mistakes that people often do in management, especially skilled individuals like sitting in this room. Um, you, you, you are a, a valuable contributor to that entrepreneurial dream and, and in a way you've got to find the backer and the support that understands that it's not a one-day game, this is a five-day game. I get the concept of skin in the game and, and that's there's always a price to be paid. Um, but it, one's got to um, and, and I've sometimes learned, and the guys that know me and, and my team also knows, if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, so it's always part of that discussion and negotiation. Thanks, we have a few more minutes. I think there was a question up there, perhaps. Hi. Um, thanks. So my question relates to a debate that uh, lots of friends and colleagues are having at this moment, is post-exams, what what next? And there's, there's, there's an array of people that are chasing down a CFA or an MBA. And you guys spoke about uh, core qualities, like immersing yourself in a business to understand the operating model, becoming an expert, having values of fortitude and resilience. I guess my question is, is around what is, what is ideally the best preparation uh, to go off and embark on your your own passion or own business? Is it something traditional? Is it going to work in a startup to experience the frenetic environment and the safety of <laughs> funding? Uh, just your views on that. Thanks. Um, I can only relate to my personal experience and, and uh, I was, as I said earlier, I was very fortunate and I'm a big believer in, in getting the skills in a specific area. I think us you know, there was a reason why you decided to get trained in actuarial science. Um, so there is some attributes in the workplace that, that you like. Um, if you don't like exactly what you're doing, I think it's also important to then see a spectrum of different types of disciplines inside your field of expertise. But I'm a very big believer of gaining that deep, deep knowledge. Um, you can go and look at all the examples of successful entrepreneurs, musicians, etc. I mean, there was a very deep... Um, um, understanding technologists of what they were doing and then looking for opportunities. I think that's the other thing. If you don't get know exactly what your product is, you, you, you um, I referred earlier to the curiosity. You've got to listen. You've got to ask questions. You've got to be curious, constantly looking for for that because I'm a, I do believe that will come to you um, and, and you won't find it sitting on your couch or in the shower. Um, and you will find it by being immersed in a specific topic and a field of, and obviously choosing something that's relevant, that's a growing field, that's, that's something exciting. Um, I think that's I'm tying to the point of research. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think it does depend, right, to some extent. I think preparation for different people will mean different things. Um, but again, just like relating to my experience, um, where we are now definitely leverages off deep experience. Um, and perhaps it's, it's, you know, I mean, it, it, it links to being a consulting firm. Um, you can't really be offering a value proposition as a consulting firm unless you have uh, an enormous amount of, of experience to and ex expertise to bring to bear. Um, otherwise, why would why would anyone hire you? Um, so yeah, I think I think that that is a big part of it. But I, if I if I relate it to to research, 
Um, I remember when I first joined GCT and um, Rob Darrington told me that I would need to do a master's. Um, I was like, what am I going to do a master's in? <laughs> How does one figure out, you know, what your research question is? Um, and that process took about a year um, of, of listening and reading and thinking and talking to people um, and trying to figure out you know, what was a question that was worth answering. Um, and entrepreneurship is the same. Um, your business has to answer a question that's worth answering. Um, so you've got to spend some time figuring out what that, that is. Um, and it's, it's a little bit like that um, passion, you know, you know, pursue your passion thing. Um, I think you can't know what your passion is until you have some some experience like you can't know that you're passionate about playing the violin until you're at least reasonably decent at playing the violin um, to really experience the, the the joy of it um, so you know I think I think investing in in that expertise is very valuable um, but there's a limit to that because one can get stuck in in that and always waiting until you feel like you're good enough or know enough um, and you might wait wait too long yeah, yeah I think from my perspective, again, just relating it to my own experience, um, I think it's really important to to tinker and explore in whatever space you're in if you really want to prepare. And I think, you know, taking those opportunities that exist wherever you are to maybe propose a different product or or get involved in whatever new project, project that's out there, I think that's really important. I think, again, it comes back to that. If you don't ask, you won't get that yes. You, you don't know what will happen. And being brave enough to... To, in whatever space you're in, ask those questions and be curious um, is really important in preparing yourself to, to become an entrepreneur. And then you'll figure out what you really need to know more about before taking that step once you, you start that sort of a process. All right, sadly, we've run out of time. Um, I want to thank our panelists. Thank you very much for coming through.